0: This morning, we continue our series called Authenticity as we talk about the book of James. Uh, This morning, we're in chapter three, right in the center of our series, as James shares this powerful message about the power of the tongue. I invite you to hear these words together. My brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers because we know that we teachers will be judged more strictly. We all make mistakes often, but those who don't make mistakes with their words have reached full maturity. Like a bridled horse, they can control themselves entirely. When we bridle horses and put bits in their mouths to lead them wherever we want, we can control their whole bodies. Consider ships. They are so large that strong winds are needed to drive them, but pilots direct their ships wherever they want with a little rudder. In the same way, even though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts wildly. Think about this. A small flame can set a whole forest on fire. The tongue is a small flame of fire, a world of evil at work in us. It contaminates our entire lives. Because of it, the circle of life is set on fire. The tongue itself is set on fire by the flames of hell. People can tame and already have tamed every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish. No one can tame the tongue, though. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we both bless the Lord and Father and curse human beings made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come from the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, it just shouldn't be this way. Both fresh water and salt water don't come from the same spring, do they? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree produce olives? Can a grapevine produce figs? Of course not. And fresh water doesn't flow from a salt water spring either. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O oh Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. During my first year at Duke Divinity School, they sent us on a silent retreat. Uh, and that silent retreat, we had to be quiet for like 24 hours, even when we were with people, even a roommate uh, in a room, even... Uh, even over meals, uh, which, for those of you who have uh, met me or spent any time with me, that's probably hard for me to do. I don't shut up very much. and um, But I was thankful that on that trip, I had brought a book with me, and I pulled it off my shelf, I think, the day before we had gone. It was from the box set of the Chronicles of Narnia, and I hadn't ever read uh, The Magician's Nephew, uh, which is, in many ways, the prequel to it. So um, so I sat there. I remember sitting on the porch at this beautiful, um, beautiful retreat center we were at, On this retreat and pouring over the words of the magician's nephew by C.S. Lewis, and I was transported into that world of Narnia there. I could see everything before me. It was a magical uh, kind of time as I was reading and kind of fully immersed in that book, and, and, and kind of all my other senses were attuned to it. I think what Lewis recognized while writing uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, and that other wonderful authors, especially in the realm of fiction, uh, recognize is that is this concept. Words create worlds. Words create worlds. And a lot of times when, when words are used well, words create worlds that are good and expansive and hopeful right the first words that were ever spoken the first words were those of god into creation right Cre- literally creating the world speaking words that were good and expansive and hopeful when he called forth life when he called forth life when he separated the seas from from the clouds and everything like it there's a genius of those who can create worlds like that one that C.S. Lewis created. Some of you might be uh, big fans of J.R.R. Tolkien, and you've read all of the Lord of the Rings things, and you realize that, like, over multiple years, he, like, made his own language, that these elves would speak to each other, and he had this whole world of elves and hobbits and stuff. And you might be people who are like, I don't like fantasy stuff. I don't know what you're talking about. But... Whatever, regardless of the case, the guy could enter, enter you into an entire different world and universe in that work. In the same way, uh, you know, we, we think about the work of J.K. Rowling and what she did in creating the Harry Potter universe. And when you, once you start kind of reading that, you kind of get sucked into the life and everything in that world. Words create worlds. In the same way, our story of faith is carried along in powerful way by words. The reason why we remember Jesus' teaching sometimes so well and why he was such a brilliant teacher is because he shared stories. He didn't just share facts. You know, he shared parables and stories most of the time to make his point. His words creating worlds, giving us, giving us expansive and hopeful pictures of what the kingdom of God was like. If you talk to me for any amount of time... Um, I would share with you a book or something that has shaped my understanding of a particular issue or of a particular way of thinking about the faith. There's books, there's sermons I have heard specifically, there's lectures that I specifically remember and recall and hold dear of ways that have shaped me, those words that have created worlds for me that are good and expansive and hopeful. In the same way, words also can create worlds that aren't so good. In fact, that's a lot of James' focus today is that words can create worlds that are bad and suppressive and even damaging. Right? Listen to his warning here. He says, think about this a small flame can set a whole forest on fire. The tongue is a small flame of fire, a world of evil at work in us. It contaminates our entire lives. Because of it the circle of life is set on fire. The tongue itself is set on fire by the flames of hell powerful <laughs> powerful warning words that James gives us in that text but we also know it to be true we know the way in which words to a kid can shape how they think about themselves and their self-perception and self-image and throughout their entire lives right it might be a joke that that's what therapists uh, get paid to work with but a lot of times we think about uh, the words said to us as kids the way in which that affected us as children I don't know about any of you, I've been watching the show Ted Lasso uh, on Apple TV lately. Um, I can't recommend it because there's bad language, but it's really good. And um, if you watch it, uh, there's this character, Nate. And Nate was uh, just a lowly equipment manager on the team. And, and he rises the ranks quickly to become an assistant coach on that team. And all Nate wants, all he wants is his father's approval. That's it. He just wants his father to be proud of him. And never, ever does it seem like that will happen, regardless of how good he does, regardless of how much he rises in the ranks and does well. And what happens to Nate is that he starts to take out that frustration on the people below him and underneath him. It, it plays into everything else because those words that have been spoken into his life create worlds. Perhaps a place to start when we think about this passage like a lot of James, isn't necessarily explanation. When you read that the tongue is this small part of our body, we get it, like it's not that big, uh, and yet uh, it can control the whole of our lives and it can affect lots of other people by what we say and and by what we do with it. It makes a ton of sense, right? We can, we can grasp it. We can grasp that the tongue is like a horse being controlled by just a small bit and bridle. We can get that an entire cruise ship can be controlled by just a rudder on there. A small part controls the direction of where it goes. So the tongue is with our lives. So maybe what we don't need is explanation about the text as much as confession. Then maybe when we read this text in James, we recognize I and what I have said have hurt other people. The words that I have said, I've been controlled and sometimes by my tongue, not been the one controlling it. I have created worlds at times that are suppressive instead of expansive, that are damaging instead of hopeful. See, the scripture is like a favorite for youth group leaders sometimes to be like, see guys, you shouldn't cuss, all right? Like that, that's the you know, the tongue is powerful, so don't say bad words, right? And it's good to not say bad words. That's not a bad thing. But the scripture is about so much more than just that. It's about how words can display what's really inside of us, right? In other words, our words portray our authenticity. And as the scripture goes on, I think that point is shown even more. For in this passage, James presents... What for me is perhaps the hardest element of being a Christian. Verses 9 and 10, he says, with the tongue, we both bless the Lord and Father and curse human beings made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come from the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, it just shouldn't be this way. By it being one of the hardest things about being a Christian, I mean this. We recognize that Every single person is made in God's image. And God loves them just as much as he loves me. And today, in our our culture and in our space, like, that's really hard. Because that means that someone far opposite on the political spectrum of you, that Jesus died and loves them just as much as he loves you. And that someone who thinks entirely differently about the world, that God loves them just as much as God loves you. And that, for me, is one of the hardest things about following Jesus today. This is what I like to call the authenticity of grace. For in it, first, we recognize this. I am not deserving of God's love. God's love and acceptance of me is a pure gift. And then hopefully what happens is that praise that that brings forth out of us affects how we speak of others. What we want is for that to flow out naturally from us like water does from a spring. And when we aren't living authentically, it's like we're asking our hearts to produce fruit that isn't there. That's why James can say, right, hey, does a fig tree produce olives? And and, and the answer is, well, duh, no. A fig tree doesn't produce olives. Or can a grapevine produce figs? And and, and you're saying, well, no, a grapevine produces grapes. And and, and what what James is saying is that whatever is in your heart outflows in how you speak. It pours out. And, And maybe it's not like always right away, but usually the things that come out are the very things that are buried within. So when we're living authentically, our praise of God our praise of who God is should also be pouring out in our love for all of those whom God has made. What I want, what I want in my life, is I want my words to overflow with grace. Grace for others. Grace for where they come from and who they are and who God has made them to be. And that the words that I say would become good and expansive and hopeful. Just like that prayer that ends Psalm 19 that you all prayed today. Just like that one that I say before each sermon is that the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And all God's people said, amen. I invite you to stand at this time as we we proclaim the faith that we believe in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. You may be seated. As we come to the prayers of the people today, we recognize that there are lots of things that we come holding before us today, just like our kids come holding lots of emotions and things. We recognize that as a nation, um, uh, we hold a lot, especially on this weekend, as we remember 20 years um, since September 11th yesterday. Um, I know for many of us, I think if we were alive, we remember where we were in that moment, uh, as some of you would have described where you were, Uh, during JFK's assassination, other things like that in your life. Um, And and it is, um, you know, it's hard to believe in in all the ways in which our world has been shaped kind of pre and post that event and things like that. Um, But we do